Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. As we remain standing, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in these final moments of your life, in the midst of your agony, you were, you were still focused on the people around you. You were focused on the mission you'd been sent to fulfill. You were focused on connecting your people to one another in love and care. We thank you that in life and in death, you sought us out and that you seek us out now today as you reign over us, risen and ascended. May we know your power today. May we have hope and confidence in the resurrection. May we live with singular purpose for the glory of your name. Amen. Please be seated. When Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he was in prison. Most likely, as far as we can tell, he was under house arrest in Rome awaiting news of his fate. Would he be released or would he receive a death sentence? Now, it's hard for us to imagine what it would be like to live under confinement with that kind of uncertainty hanging over you. One thing is certain, though, you'd have plenty of time to think about life and death. Our reading this morning comes from the second half of Philippians chapter 1, where Paul does just that, inviting his friends into his own internal dialogue about life, death, and eternity. With the death sentence hanging over his head, he's forced to consider, would I rather die and go to be with Jesus, or would I rather live and continue in my ministry? And in verse 23, he gives his answer, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. How does a man get to this point? where he can step back and so matter-of-factly consider the reality of death, the promise of eternity, and the value of this present life? What is it in, in his arsenal of faith 
that allows Paul to long for one thing in the future while pouring himself out for others in the present? These are the questions that I want to consider this morning as we take a careful look at Philippians chapter 1. I hope you'll turn there with me if you're not already there. It's on page 980 in the Red Bibles. Last week, we began a seven-part series on Philippians, and we talked about the abounding love that lies at the heart of this letter. This week, I want you to see how Paul's confidence in his eternal future anchors his present life and hope, giving him clarity of purpose and the courage to be faithful. So we've got confidence, clarity, and courage this morning. We begin with Paul's confidence. You know, in order to understand what Paul's saying in the second half of chapter one, we need to take a look back at the first half of the chapter. In verses three through 11, Paul expresses his affection for his friends and he talks about how he prays for them. Twice in that paragraph, he mentions something that is central to his way of thinking. It's what he refers to as the day of Jesus Christ. So notice how his present perspective is linked to this future day in verse six. He writes, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then he comes back to this again in verses nine and 10. And it is my prayer, he writes, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So it's obviously important to Paul, but what exactly is this day of Christ? Well, Paul talks about it at length elsewhere. And from those passages, we know that the day of Christ is the day when Jesus will return in glory to raise the dead and judge the nations. It's the day when those who have trusted in Jesus will rise to new and everlasting life in perfected bodies, free from suffering, sorrow, and sin. It's the day on which evil and death will be banished forever. And in the hopeful words of Sam Gamgees in The Lord of the Rings, it is the day on which everything sad will become untrue. That's the day that Paul longs for and that he is certain will come. And it's this future day that shapes his approach to every present day of life here on earth. When I was in high school which is a long time ago now that I think about it. But when I was in high school, I had a few friends who were into rock climbing. We would go out to Great Falls Park just outside of Washington, D.C. to climb the cliffs that framed the Potomac River. They weren't very tall, but the climbing was good and the challenge was exhilarating. Now, there are lots of different kinds of rock climbing, but only two that are relevant to the point that I want to make with this illustration. And the first kind of rock climbing that I want to talk about is called free soloing. This is climbing without ropes or harnesses or other safety equipment. So several years ago, a climber named Alex Honnold made free soloing famous by ascending one of the most challenging rock faces in all of North America, El Capitan. And he did this without any safety measures whatsoever. This way of climbing is completely insane and totally irresponsible. But I have to admit that the movie that tells the story of Honnold's climb is mesmerizing. Free soloing. The second method of climbing is called top roping. 
And this is what most novices have done on retreats or field trips or corporate outings. In this way of climbing, a rope is anchored at the top of a rock face and it's tied into a protective harness worn by a climber who's then belayed from the ground by a friend. Along the way, you are protected from harm because you are roped into the top of the cliff and you will be caught if you fall. I've been thinking about the difference between these two ways of climbing as I have tried to understand Paul's approach to life and death. So we think of Paul as this brash, bold, and daring man, willing to take risks and to put his life on the line. He seems kind of like the free soloing type. But the truth is, Paul's quite different. He is incredibly bold, but not because of some reckless devil-may-care attitude. His confidence comes from the fact that he knows the day of Christ Jesus will come and that not even death can separate him from eternal life with the Lord. He knows without a doubt that he's going to make it to the top of the cliff. He's roped in, secure, and certain of the outcome. As Paul knew well, you can still get hurt when you climb like this. And yes, the ascent will be hard. But when you set off at the bottom of the pitch to begin the ascent, the one thing you know for certain is that you will reach the top. Even if you faint or bang your head and knock yourself unconscious, you will be pulled to the top because you are tied in and anchored. And that means you can climb with a sense of freedom, attending to the present moment without fear of death. You can look up, you can look down, you can look around at all the beautiful scenery because you don't have to worry about your hand slipping. You can also enjoy the freedom of not being totally self-absorbed every second of every day. You can encourage others on the rock face. You can talk to your belayer. You know, someone who free solos is going ultimately to be driven by fear. Someone who top climbs is pulled forward by hope. For the former, it's the rocks at the bottom of the cliff that dance in your imagination. For the latter, it's the view at the top that beckons you on. Now, even though he was facing a possible death sentence, Paul was pulled forward by hope because he knew that the day of Christ would come and he would live forever with the God who loved him. When he contemplated death, therefore, he wasn't thinking about a fall that would leave him crushed on the rocks below. He was thinking about being pulled to the top into the ever greater glory of Jesus. Now with that distinction in mind, I want you to listen again to verses 19 to 26 and how Paul thinks out loud about life, death, and eternity. Paul writes, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. 
I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. How is Paul able to talk so openly and matter-of-factly about life and death? How is it that he can hold both with such light hands? Well, it's because of his utter confidence in the coming day of Jesus Christ and the certainty of his salvation. The point is, death is not the end of everything. It's the beginning of a new kind of life with Jesus Paul longs to move from his present union with Jesus into a more perfect fellowship with him on the other side of death. However, even though he longs for this perfect fellowship, Paul knows that he's been given a mission here and now. And that ultimately is what drives him to say in verse 25, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's confidence in the coming day of Christ leads him to absolute clarity of purpose in this present life. And that clarity of purpose is the second theme that I want for us to consider. Paul puts it most succinctly when he says in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Because of where he's headed, eternal life with Christ, the purpose of his present life is to honor Christ in every way. In verse 20, Paul talks about his desire to honor Christ in his body, meaning in all that he does in this life. And then in verse 22, he talks about his longing to engage in fruitful labor, which he explains in verses 24 and 25, means seeking the spiritual growth and joy of those around him. Nothing else really matters for Paul. And in the next paragraph, Paul shifts his focus to the Philippians, moving from personal reflection to exhortation. It's one of those instances in this letter where he seems to jump from one topic to the next. But the truth is, he's merely extending his own clarity of purpose. He wants the Philippians to seek the honor of Jesus with the same single-mindedness that he has. And so he writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So notice how in verse 28, Paul orients them to the same eternal perspective that he has, reassuring them of their ultimate salvation. Paul then encourages the Philippians to have one mind among them. This is a theme that he'll return to throughout the letter. He wants them to allow the gospel to so completely shape their understanding of life and death as it has shaped his own that they share the same outlook, 
the same convictions, the same approach to daily life. And he tells them to strive together side by side. And here the language of partnership that we noticed last week earlier in chapter one reappears. Remember when you are top rope climbing, part of the way in which you stay connected is by the work of a belayer on the ground below you. We don't just cheer each other on from a distance. We actually hold each other up and we look to our redemption together. But what should we expect from this life of faith and faithfulness? If we're being good, obedient Christians who love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, will everything turn out happy and go smoothly? Unfortunately, no. Paul tells the Philippians to expect opposition in verse 28, suffering in verse 29, and conflict in verse 30. Now we tend to view these as signs of failure or faithlessness. But Paul says otherwise. These things, they are actually part of the faithful life. Yes, they can be signs of failure or faithlessness, but they are also the fruit of living for Christ. Paul's confidence in the coming day of Christ leads to clarity of purpose here and now, enabling him to endure all kinds of suffering and uncertainty. All he wants, all he wants today is to honor God in his own body through obedience and to encourage others in their faith. That's what he means when he says to live is Christ and that's what he wants for his friends. Confidence in the day of Christ leads to clarity of purpose in the present. And it also gives us courage, and that's our final theme. So one of the great thrills, one of the greatest thrills you can experience when you're top rope climbing is trying a move that you're not sure you can complete. Stretching for a finger hold, extending for a toe hold, holding on with just one hand and lunging for a grip that's out of reach. Those acts require courage because they force you to trust the rope and the anchor up top. And you would never try this if you were free soloing because the cost of failure would be far too great. But when you're tied in, when you know that your salvation is secure, that death doesn't mark the end, that life will only get better the closer you draw to Jesus, well then, you're willing to lunge, to leap, and to extend yourself for him. Because if you slip and fall, you know that he will catch you. When we make the decision to live a life of obedience, to put the needs of others before our own, to enter into conflict with a friend because we care too much to pretend that everything is okay, when we do these things, we actually live life to the full. We risk falling for sure, but when we fall, we experience the thrill of being caught by the God who loves us and has saved us and is calling us ever onward up to himself. That's the source of our courage. Paul dares in the present because he's anchored in the future. And so he says in verse 20, it is my eager expectation and my hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. 
That kind of courage comes from hope. Not hope in the sense of wishful thinking, but confidence in the day of Jesus Christ. Now you may not think of yourself as a courageous person. You (laughs) might be terrified by the the thought of rock climbing. You may not be a risk taker by nature, but let me tell you this, and it's important. Courage is not a quality that only a few possess. Courage is a gift that all are given when we come to trust in the day of Christ. The trick to being a person of courage is not to focus on being courageous. It's to focus on the certainty of your hope. I love how Paul puts it later in the letter in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When we are confident in the day of Christ Jesus, courage follows naturally. I want to conclude just by asking you to remember once again Paul's circumstances when he wrote this letter. None of us is under house arrest, awaiting news on a pending death sentence, but death is in the foreground for all of us. For some, it looms pretty large. For others, it is years away. But for all of us, it waits. The question is, how will you live in light of this? Will fear of death lead you to a life that is cautious, self-absorbed, and focused solely on the here and now? Or will the certainty of the day of Christ give you confidence, clarity of purpose, and the joy of living with courage no matter what tomorrow brings? Now, these qualities don't come easily. They're the fruit of faith, and they are the answer to prayer. So let me encourage you today to pray for an unwavering confidence in the day of Christ, for clarity of purpose in honoring God and serving others, and for the courage to trust that the rope will hold because it is anchored in the sure and certain hope of eternal life with Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, would you give us unwavering confidence in the day of Christ Jesus? Would you give us clarity of purpose that on this day we would honor you and serve others? And would you give us courage to trust that the rope will hold, anchored as it is in the sure and certain hope of eternal life with you? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.